Welcome to The Covercast, a podcast all about books, publishing and everything in between. I'm Kate, book blogger, bookseller and aspiring writer. And I'm Ellen, just a straight up bookseller for a well-known chain of bookshops. This week, we'll be talking about indie bookshops, the British Book Awards and what we think of the publishing industry. And as usual, we'll be discussing what we've been reading recently. Okay, so this is our first ever podcast. We're both in Wales, both in Cardiff. And yeah, we love books. We love books and we decided to do a podcast because even though we both work with books and we both work in bookshops, we just wanted to talk to ourselves more and put in loads of actual <laughs> We can't get enough. Just start, just start a podcast um, and see what happens, basically. So we're probably going to start with what we're reading at the moment or what we just read. So what are you reading at the moment, Ellen? I just finished um, John Boyne, Ladder to the Sky. I wanted to, I actually did want to speak to you about it because the like main plot point is, it's kind of about, are we going to do spoilers? Mm, warning, spoiler ahead. Yeah, okay. I'm going to do, do some spoilers. And if you've not read it, then I guess skip over. How old also, is the book? Don't skip over because I, yeah. please listen. Um, <laughs> it just came out in paperback. Uh, so it's quite new. Yeah, but... I think the hardback came out in May of 2018 so the like the main premise is it follows this guy maurice swift throughout his life Mm. and basically he's just like he's a terrible guy he's the world's worst person he's kind of a psychopath because you kind of learn as you go throughout that he just uses people he has basically no emotions like he does all this stuff the sort of main premise is about stealing writers stealing each other's ideas so for example if you you have an idea if you write part of a book and then somebody takes that part of the book writes the rest of the book and releases it under their name. It's about whether or not you consider that to be morally wrong. Yeah, that's interesting because pretty much no idea is a new idea. Everything is yeah. some version of something else that's already happened. We can't really have no ideas writing anymore. So where's the borderline, really? But that's why I wanted to, because I don't necessarily consider myself to be a writer or an aspiring writer, but I know that you do. I know that you're writing a novel right now. If it turned out that somebody read that, took it and published it and was like, oh, I just changed some names and some oh, adjectives. Oh, no, yeah, I'd be pissed off. You'd be pissed off, yeah. right? You'd be annoyed. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it's fine to be inspired by it, but it's still got to be different. You can't just take my actual words and just change a few names. Yeah, so what Maurice, this guy in this book, does is he befriends an elderly writer in Germany and basically gets him to tell him his life story, including part of his life where he, when he's a teenager, he gives up one of his friends to the Nazis because he's in love with him. And so give him up to the Nazis. He's, he's in love with him and this guy gets a girlfriend and then he's like, right, well, not having that. And gives him up to the Nazi. And you read it and you're like, that's horrible. That's a horrible thing to do. I can't believe somebody would do that. But at the same time, you also think this Maurice then writes a book about it and exposes him and is like, oh yeah, this, oh, this whole book is based on his life and basically ruins this guy's life completely. In this book, you're going through the moral dilemma of stealing people's ideas, but also the moral dilemma of ruining people's lives. I don't... It sounds like a really depressing book. It's actually not, though. Like, he's a, such a good writer. It's fairly entertaining. And you go through and you're just like, this guy is awful, but yeah. I want to know Have you more. read any of his other books? I actually haven't. I know quite a few people read his last one. Heart's Invisible Fury. That's the one. That, yeah, that's I, meant to be really, really that's good. That's on my to-be-read list. But... And obviously he also wrote Boy in Striped Pajamas, which... People are always completely shook by. Yeah, I've never actually read it. I've watched it. Have you seen Oops. the film? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Tell me about what you've been reading. I'm reading Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. Um, so it's not out yet. It's out 
April and so I was lucky enough to get a copy and I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Basically it's about a 25 year old which is also how old I am. She lives in London and she works for a newspaper and it's her experience with life starts with she's just had to take a break from her relationship they'd moved in together and now she's having to move out and she's black and he's white and so there's tension there as well and I always try and read things that are more diverse try and read something which gives me an insight into other people's lives it feels very contemporary it feels like it's gonna do well it reads kind of like Eleanor Oliphant it was meant to be relatable because she's lonely and I know it was a bit excessive because she obviously had her own problems. I didn't consider that Eleanor Oliphant was meant to be super... This is Eleanor Oliphant, it's completely fine, by Gail Honeyman, yeah. for anyone who's not read it, was meant to be really relatable. I guess it is for a lot of people, isn't it? At that least the of, first half. I just thought it was so heartwarming. That's why I, I liked it. But Queenie is... Is it, ten, is it YA? No. No. It's, no, it's, it's just contemporary fiction, really. It's a debut, so I don't think she's written anything before, mm. and it's coming out in hardback, so they must think it's going to do well enough. The cover as well is pretty fun. Yeah, we're looking at it right um, now, and it is like a really nice block primary colours situation. I think what they're doing is they're releasing four different colour copies, and I think they're also spraying the edges, which is pretty cool. Oh, we love a spray it really, edge. It, it really sounds like they're putting a lot into it, and to be honest, I'm really enjoying it so far. It's easy read. It's not challenging in any way it's not very literary and it's got texting conversations in it but yeah I'm really enjoying it at the moment so I'm not quite sure what I'm going to read next after it but we'll find out next time we'll have to update about <laughs> what you think about the ending because yeah. actually sometimes you start a book and you're like amazing and then by mm. the end you hate it and also with this one it's meant to be laid back and funny but also meant to be quite hard hitting yeah and at the moment it's probably been more laid back and funny than it has been hard hitting there's mm. been some moment you know, where she went on a dating app And people would just reply absolutely horrific things to her about her body and just being gross and disgusting. But overall, it's been more funny and lighthearted. So I'm kind of intrigued to see where it goes as well. But it's sort of covering, I'm doing air quotes here, quote unquote, big issue. But so you wonder sometimes with these things, they go in really hard with the big issues. And sometimes you can lose the plot because they're just so desperate to be like, I'm really woke and I really understand loads of stuff about contemporary issues. It doesn't feel like she's doing that at the moment. So it feels like it's just injecting a few of those points rather than letting them steer it. So I'm looking forward to finishing that. I'm about 100 pages in, I think. So I'm not even that far. So we've both enjoyed reading things recently. I'm having a shocker. Th- no, which it is though. So I had a horrible phase where I read a couple of things that I really, really didn't enjoy. And what, just, just recently? I read Tangerine. I just, it, oh, you can't ever say that a book is bad just because you didn't enjoy it. Yeah. But it was not the writing style for me. Really, really overwritten, really like florid, so much mm. unnecessary description. Yeah, I hate it when you go through periods like that. I read Autumn, you know, by Ali Smith. Yeah. I hated it. Because people love it, but then I had somebody and in work today who was like, "I hate like it is the it is the only one. It's the only book I've given one star to, and it's just because I, I was just like, what? Nothing is like I just didn't enjoy it. And so, I, so please don't beat me up if you disagree with me. But the Alex Smith fans are coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, when something does so well. Well, that's and the thing about Tangerine, but it's doing really, isn't really well. It a book of the month by a bookshop. Yes, it is. And that has a huge influence on sales, but whether it actually is because doing it's, well, Because though. it's in the Sunday Times top 10 paperbacks today, I was looking, but it was not for me. But then not everything is. 
I am the girl who hated the catcher in the rye and the bell jar. Oh, I didn't like the bell jar. Oh, that's good. I gave it a three. Oh, you gave it a three. This is on Goodreads. Yeah, no, the bell jar, I appreciated what it was trying to do. And I felt the pain, but I was, this is kind of boring. I I don't really know what's going on. I lost the plot Mm. at the bit where she gets inside the wall. And I was honestly just like, listen, this (laughs) bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can't read everything. You can't enjoy everything. You can't enjoy everything. And actually, it probably says more about your ability to critically read yeah, that you definitely. don't enjoy things than just blindly being like, yeah, I read it and it was fine. Yeah, I read that and it was totally yeah. fine. It was, but it then means actually you read things and you're like, I'm getting that four days of my life back. Speaking of, actually, I'm really bad at putting down books when I'm not enjoying them. And I never, ever used to do that. And then in January, I was like, reading resolution. resolution I'm going to actually down. stop reading stuff that I don't want to read because... I've got too many books. Life is too short. Life is way too short. So I've put down two so far, actually, this year. I stopped reading... two in two months. Yeah. That's quite a lot. I stopped reading The Binding, which everyone's raving about. You did, didn't you? Yeah. Because I'm not a huge historical person. It's not a huge historical, but historical fiction isn't my thing. Mm. I was just bored. I didn't really know what was going on. Nothing had really happened. And, you know, I'd got... 80 pages in I was just not convinced although it is a beautiful book so stunning one of my friends at work read it and she summarized it by saying the beginning and the end were really boring but the middle was fairly interesting and she was like why couldn't it have just all be middle why did it have to also have that beginning and the end that I didn't care about that happens so much and the other one was I'm really good about this one I read a lot of young adult and I was really excited for the burning by Laura Bates yeah she's such a badass yeah. and I've read all of her non-fictions but I couldn't get through this one because mm. it was just chocked full of adjectives and adverbs felt like she was afraid to just say something plainly you know that might have been fine for some readers like I know some people have absolutely loved it already but for me I just couldn't get past that maybe it's because I'm doing a master's in creative writing and so all of these humble brag yeah <laughs> humble brag I'm very sensitive to those kind of things at the moment so I was just getting too distracted by the writing, so I put it down. I'm not saying I won't ever read it. I may pick it up at another mm. time, but so. Anyway, that was our roundup of what we've been reading. Yes. Good for a first go, I think. I think so. So every podcast we want to do a news segment where we talk about either stuff that's coming up or things that are coming out or just general book industry news. So we thought for our first episode we would talk about the Nibbies which is the other name for the British Book Awards. We did have a little chat the other day about why it's called the Nibbies, yeah. and we kind of don't really know, mm. apart from the fact that the logo is just a pen nib. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it sounds like a snack award. Nibbies. Sounds like, you know, oh, Maltesers came top of the Nibbies. <laughs> so they just recently announced, the one we're most interested in is obviously the Independent Bookshop Awards. They've just recently announced the shortlist for the regions so there's a decent amount of regions but there's actually more regions than there were last year because they've now split wales and the midlands last year <laughs> wales and the midlands counted as one area nobody understood so why connected. i just i guess I, I hope i suppose somebody in either wales or the midlands complained about it <laughs> because that's no longer the case but also i think splitting them shows actually that there was enough bookshops in both of the regions to then have their own category, which is amazing. It's so good to hear that. I think there's four nominated in the Wales region. I think there's four in Wales and three in the Midlands. Yeah. And there's nine categories overall. So if you do a bit of yeah. simple maths, that's it's like probably about 40 bookshops. Yeah. If you can hear some background noise, that is Case Hamster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's having a drink. <laughs> 
So the other regions are Ireland, Scotland, Wales, obviously, the Midlands, uh, East, Southwest, Southeast, North, and just the term, whole North. The yeah. whole North. And London has its own, obviously. The British Book Awards has loads of different things. So it's Indie Book Award, but then it also has loads of different awards for various books. And then it has stuff within publishing. So the bookshop that I work for um, is one of the ones that has been shortlisted for Wales. Woohoo! And background, Ellen used to do my job. So we're very connected. (laughs) Yeah, the reason we know each other is because I left my job at said bookshop and Kate took it over. And so we are both... Very heavily invested in the bookshop. <laughs> very heavily invested in this bookshop in particular, especially yeah. because my mum also works there. <laughs> so essentially what happens now is we wait for the regional winner to be announced. Then there's an ultimate winner picked out of those. Mm-hmm. The ultimate thing about it is that it recognises independent bookshops and it also mm. shows how much independent bookshops all support each other. It's a great group and everyone is really nice and everyone is really friendly and everyone is like out to support each other and try and make sure that the independent bookshop market grows as much as possible. So the Nibbies is also about the books, um, Mm -hmm. which is fab. It's been described as the BAFTA of the book world, the book trade, which is a bit bit much, but okay. (laughs) Not quite as glamorous. No. So there's general book awards. There is children's fiction. So they've now split into two awards. So they've got children's fiction and then another award, which is children's illustrated and nonfiction, which I was a bit like, why have they put illustrated and nonfiction together? It is something that we wanted to pick up just because it seems like illustrated and nonfiction, that's very vague. Like just having one children's book, super vague. Also, I'm not quite sure you can compare an illustrated picture book for four-year-olds to a nonfiction. It's a bit weird to compare those. One of the books that's selling quite well at the moment is the Malala nonfiction. And how could you possibly compare that to, you know, Oi Frog or whatever? You, <laughs> you can't. So it's a bit weird. I read an article about it and the basic point was they separated them because of the huge increase in children's publishing. That was basically it. They say that now one third of books sold our children's books i can totally see that you know working at a bookshop we sell so many children's books oh yeah for sure it's the same with my job it's one of the biggest selling sections and just because there's such a high demand for it people i mean not that we're old but when we were young aside from harry potter there wasn't that much it came after harry potter there was a bit more but that age group didn't have tons to read. It wasn't like the amazing books that we, they have now. The David Walliams and the Liz Pichon. Wimpy yeah. Kid and my new favourite, Nevermore series. Love it. The Treehouse um, series. Yeah, there's just tons. Whereas when we were young, I feel like there was Harry Potter and then not that much else. Made a rule that we're not going to talk about Harry yeah. Potter in this podcast. We've, we've broken, already it, already. broken it. So then we've got the fiction side of things as well, adult fiction. Going back um, to the nibbies, that is. We've got non-fiction, we've got lifestyle yeah. So there's a few more awards for books and it's quite interesting when books are nominated for awards because I have a very mixed reaction to it. One award that I do like to maybe read at least one or two from the long list is the Women's Prize. Yeah, for sure. Because there's always something super like, empowering and feminist in there or something, you know, a little bit different. And I kind of also want to read something from their long list, even if it's just in support. It's you a know. good prize and they do a lot of good things. Exactly. And they highlight a lot of authors that wouldn't necessarily get the media attention that they deserve. And I think that about a lot of prizes. I quite like the Costa because they did the Costa fairly recently. And that's generally quite good for just like mass market. It's more mainstream. Yeah. It mainstream. And it's not as a tree, so it's not quite as poncy. 
I wonder, who, let's I wonder what prize you could be yeah. thinking about. Yeah. So, for instance, the man booker. I'm always excited. I'm intrigued to see what they pick. But then sometimes they pick stuff just because they've done something a little bit differently. It actually has to be readable. It actually has to be good. Although this year they did put a crime one in and they put a graphic novel in. And so I think maybe they're trying. So if you don't know the way literary prizes work, they basically get influential people from the literary field and they all read X amount of books. It's like, it's, for the Mad Booker, it's something ridiculous, like 300 books. And they do a long list and then they do a short list and then they win. But I think sometimes they get people for the Mad Booker that you're just like, firstly, who? And secondly, they like such niche specific kinds of books that don't appeal to anyone and not everything has to appeal to anyone but sometimes with the booker you do look at this list and think i've not heard of any of these people maybe that's just what the booker is maybe we should just accept it maybe we get the more mainstream books from the costa or whatever it is interesting though because sometimes i'll pick something up that has been on a list and i'll be like oh what why who considered this to be a good book yeah one thing that i found really interesting is Sally Rooney's like explosion onto the scene. Like, I mean, I'd heard of conversations with friends, but then when Normal People came out and it was pretty much nominated for every award going, mm-hmm. do I want to read it then? When something wins that many awards or is that highly spoken of, this is a, it's a bit ha- like how I felt about Ellen and Oliphant. Mm. Is I was like, well, I don't want to read it now because my expectations are just going to be so really high. high. And they were with Ellen and Oliphant and enjoyed it, but I didn't get to the end of that book and was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Of course, this was so popular. Mm. I think that's the problem with awards sometimes is you can completely rocket the expectations of books. And actually, when people read them, they're just like, oh. I agree in the sense that sometimes when people big things up, you're like, I'm too scared to read it in case it's bad. (laughs) And then I think it's bad and nobody agrees with me. I read Normal People because... I just saw it everywhere and thought, right, okay, I'm just going to give it a go. And was it worth the hype? It's really good. I really enjoyed it. Personally, I didn't rate Conversations with Friends. I think, obviously, it was her debut. You can tell that she was quite a bit younger when she wrote it. I didn't think the characters seemed realistic. Or if they were realistic, they're not people that I would ever want to spend any time with. (laughs) They were were all really annoying. So the awards? It's the the 13th of May. So that'll be exciting. Keep your fingers crossed for us, guys, because we're very excited and we want to be regional. I mean, not that I'm technically involved anymore. um, The Rise in Children's Bookshop is, again, the same as the Rise in Prizes for Children's books. I think this shows that actually people are respecting children's writing more because it's different. I always think that the hardest thing about writing for children is getting the voice right for the right age. Mm -hmm. I think the attitude is definitely coming around in the sense that I always think the general person thought children's books really easy. I'll just crack out yeah. like three children's work in a year. I'll make my millions. It's fine. Oh. Children's books are so much harder to write, oh, exactly absolutely. because, as, as you said, you have to get the voice right. Yeah, it's really good to think that childrens are getting the recognition they deserve because it's so important to have those good books to turn young readers into adult readers. That's the ultimate and point. And keep the yeah. book industry thriving. Although the one thing that does wind me up sometimes is that you get just celebrities or sports people writing children's books. They are obviously ghostwritten and really annoys me. As much as there is a lot to be said about children's books, and I'm pleased that the children's book industry is so large, it's very trendy. I'm not being funny, but Frank Lampard has not sat down and written a children's book. Do you not think? He's got a new um, passion, and it's and children's books. Sometimes 
it's a necessary evil if it gets kids into reading. The book industry, it can be very pure and very magical yeah. and very... We all love books and we're all friends and we all band together. But obviously, like any industry, there is a dark side where yeah. everyone just wants to make money from everything, yeah. unfortunately. Okay, so let's round up our news section then. So the British Book Awards are coming up. We've had a few shortlists, which is really exciting. And I think the best thing about these awards at the moment is how it's showing the industry, especially the independent side of the industry, is really growing and it's not failing like people thought it would do 10 years ago you know it's not failing anymore people are really appreciating the importance of a book and a physical book at that and people really appreciate book podcasts (laughs) part of this podcast that we're going to do is going to be a little featured topic this could be anything in the book industry anything we want to basically just anything we want to talk about and actually if you have any suggestions for things that we can talk about let us know because i'm sure in about three podcasts we'll run out of ideas but what we really just wanted to talk about today was just publishing which is a super wide topic i did find some stats about the publishing industry 2017 was a record year for publishing and the value of uk publishing industry increased by five percent to 5.7 billion pounds that's so good like we were saying sort of 10 years when the kindle came out and everyone was going it was dark e-books. times for us you know it was <laughs> and since then the way that people publish and sell books is different it's very much on the experience of a book it's not just the words on the page it's what it looks like, how appealing it is, you know, how it feels in your hand, like it's had to change. Yeah, it says quite a lot that actually the physical book sales are about twice digital book sales. Business is just going up and up and up. I think now what's happened is e-readers and physical books have now found a place to be beside each other. I was talking to my fiance. Again. You can't not sound like you're bragging when you say fiance. Anyway. Uh, did you guys know that I got engaged? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I'm engaged to him when I say this, but he reads on a Kindle. He doesn't read that much, but he reads on a Kindle because it's more transportable for him. He doesn't really care about having actual books, which I think is disgusting. Weird. But, can't relate. Don't relate. But what he said is he wishes that when you bought physical books, you could then download the ebook version as well. Mm-hmm. So you know like when they started doing DVDs where you'd have the CD but you also could download the digital yeah. file? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. But the thing is, the only way that could have happened was if it happened at the beginning. And I don't think that people like Amazon who publish ebooks would ever relinquish their control of that market. You know, when you said they've both found their place in the market, I do agree. And I do think that we... Like it was some kind of huge battle. Like we've, yeah. we've, we're having a time of peace. Yeah. There's loads of reasons why you would want a digital copy, like why you would use a Kindle. I don't feel that strongly about it, to be honest. It's not practical to take up your whole sequence no. of books, but I will do it. Like yeah. I, still, I, still, I will sacrifice shoes yeah. to be like, I'm going on holiday with my parents in October. And one of the first things my dad says was, we're going to have to coordinate what we all want to read yeah. so that we can share books so that we aren't all taking oh like God, five or six like books. That's like family goals. I know. <laughs> if you like ebooks, fine. But... Just come into That's an fine. Indie... We can still be friends, yeah. I guess. But... <laughs> come into an indie bookshop every now and then and buy something. So that's really interesting to see how the publishing industry has changed. So given that we're talking about Kindles and stuff, we were going to talk about self-publishing because literally anyone can make an ebook and put it on Amazon and just sell it. When I decided I wanted to be a writer, but before I started working in a bookshop, 
I was like, maybe this is an option for me. You know, maybe I can self-publish something on Amazon and looked into it a little bit. But then the problem is, it's just a bit shoddy, isn't it? I did wonder what words you were going to use. Since working in a bookshop, when people come in with self-published books to the bookshop and say, do you want to stop these? It's a lower quality. There's something about the fact that it's self-published that maybe doubts the writing. Maybe that's a bit snotty of me to say but there's something about the fact that it's not had to jump through those hoops which makes me question is it good then it's really hard because i think this probably does make us sound really mean people come in and they bring you something and they're the wrong size and you know it's quite low quality imagery and they'd use weird fonts and there isn't the design there and and it's not all about the design but like we said the industry's changed books have to look good now Mm -hmm. they have to be something that you want to own not just to read Mm -hmm. a lot of self-published books just aren't at that standard even if the writing is good Mm -hmm. you kind of can't get past the design i think it's really hard because it's basically impossible to get published yeah. these days you know it's a process of you have to get an agent and then your agent pitches to publishers yeah. and then blah blah and it's a whole big thing that it takes a long time and it takes a lot of years and it's a very so, brutal industry and it's a completely oversaturated market so i completely get and, why yeah. people go to self-publishing because, i understand and like i said i considered it but you know having said that there have been some successes a couple of the ones that stand out for me, at least, are Rebel Girls. So mm. that started as a crowdfunding thing. Um, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, yeah. which was a hardback children's book, basically. Good Night Stories for Girls about like sort of big feminist figures. It was originally crowdfunded and then it got published again. So essentially what happened is I'm pretty sure... Mm. A publisher then went to them and said, we want to publish it. Which is interesting because publishers would normally never, ever publish anything that's already been published before. They want original stuff. But because this did so well, Mm. they then took it on, which is another interesting aspect of how it's changing. The internet changes everything. And we all know that. Examples like Fifty Shades of Grey. Some people know this, some people don't know this. It was originally twilight fan fiction if you don't know what fan fiction is good for you because i wish i didn't <laughs> fan fiction is basically people write stories about like characters from books or tv shows and they just write them in scenarios that they want to see them don't know what platform she put that on but if think these things on this platform get x amount of reads they have people in publishing houses who troll the internet and we'll look for things like this and be like we could make that into a book this will be really successful for us i mean it goes back to what i was saying earlier about sometimes people just want to make money I don't know many people who read Fifty Shades of Grey and thought this is the height of literary fiction. <laughs> I've read it. <laughs> so you know, everyone bought it. Well, do you know what's really interesting is people weren't afraid to read it because they were reading it on the Kindles and no one could see the covers. So actually, erotica has boomed. That's so true. Because people don't know what you're reading. Mm. And so you can actually be on the tube just chilling reading your erotica. <laughs> and no one will know. Maybe no people should just us. not be judgmental. Maybe then they can read whatever they want. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The concept of things going viral obviously didn't exist before the internet. And now things can go viral and suddenly it's like, well, I've got a book. Everyone wants a piece of it. Every single YouTuber now writes a book. Yeah. Because they know that they'll sell. Just the ones that we've had recently, Lily Pebbles, The F Word. Hannah Witten. The Hannah Witten one. Anna Newton, The Edited Life. The Patricia Bright's just what it's called. Like It's interesting because then we kind of go back to the question about are people who are actually good writers? publishing books the youtuber thing is just the same as the celebrity thing i think at the end of the day the quality of writing yes okay sometimes it's very obvious but sometimes it's completely subjective and with the youtuber one though i feel like it's very much a 
we're going to get this person who has a big following and we're going to get them to write a book and we're going to sell. You know, a YouTuber book is just another piece of merch, merchandise to them. With, for example, the Anna Newton Edited Life one, that wasn't her just being like, I can write fiction. She was like, "Mm, the thing I do on my YouTube channel is organisation. And she did a whole book basically just about that. Which I think is fairly yeah. sort of fair enough. So it's kind of just putting their content into a different platform, to it, really. Yeah. And you know, Hannah Whitten's kind of like that as well because she's all about sex ed. Not, we're not completely slamming this. <laughs> I think the problem, really, for me, is when people like that write fiction. I think if they write non-fiction about the topics that they're actually, you know, like, engaged whatever. in, it doesn't really affect me. Fine. Yeah. Um. So obviously, we both work in bookshops so have mentioned that yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we see books on a daily basis and I definitely have a couple of favorite publishers for a few different reasons so do I and I um, to be honest I think one of ours is the same I think we both love Faber yeah we both I love Faber is amazing yeah. Faber's sometimes a book will come in and I will immediately know that it's favourite because it's so beautiful. Mm. Their publishing really looks like they take a lot of care in every book they publish. For those who don't know, Faber is an independent publisher. So there are, within the publishing industry, there's Penguin Random House who own basically everything. Mm. And then there's Hachette who own everything that Penguin doesn't own. So there's a few biggies. Yeah. Who have imprints, which are just another way of publishing under a different name. So when somebody says an independent publisher, they just mean a single entity yeah. on its own. Faber was started by, question mark, Ted Hughes. He was the married to Sylvia, Sylvia Plath, Plath, for those husband. who don't know. Back in the day, Ted Hughes basically used it to publish his friends. But then in more recent years... It's evolved They now. really are just it's <clears> ups <throat> and bounds. It's definitely more literary, the stuff that they do. Having said that, they do do some good children's. I I love it because the design is always well thought out. It's always eye-catching. It's always classy. It's not too garish. And pretty much every book that comes in that I go, I love that cover, is Faber. Also, I just appreciate the fact that they're an independent going from strength to strength. So, for example, Sally Rooney, Normal People, that's Faber. And the cover, if you know, it's like block green with like a sardine tin. It's it's just so nice. It's so simple and so effective. And that's what I appreciate out of them. The thing that happens where all publishers are like, oh, the theme that we want to do for our books is... If you go into a bookshop and you look at a table of new releases, you can see themes. Publishers, either they pick up on each other or it's something that just is serendipitous. I don't know how it happens. But you'll look at four different crime books and it'll be like, it's blue and I'm seeing somebody from the back in the distance. The theme recently of calling books... The woman something. Oh, yeah. The woman in the window. The woman who... The woman in the dark. The woman in the street. The woman... The woman on the train. The girl on the train. The girl did this. The woman did that. You know, they get really into themes. And I think that with Faber, you don't don't Mm, see that. Yeah. They're very much just kind of striking out on their own. I hope it doesn't come Um, out when we release this podcast that they've done something terrible, if you imagine. Okay. And we Um, have to redact everything. So any others that we like? I quite like a couple of other independents. Atlantic is a good one. Mm -hmm. They don't publish tons, but what they do publish, I enjoy. I quite like Bloomsbury, which Mm -hmm. aren't as big. I um, quite like Bloomsbury as well. But they always tend to push out some good content. The thing that I like is just innovation. What I was going to mention is fairly niche press called Fitzcarraldo Editions. I have them in my work and it's a very tiny press but they specialise in contemporary fiction and long form essays. But every single book they publish, they're just navy blue and then they have the title 
the one that I just bought one, it's called Drive Your Plough Over the Bones of the Dead by, um, I'm going to butcher her name, Olga Tukarshuk. She won the International Man Booker like two years ago. Oh, yeah. But in, it just says, Drive Your Plough Over the Bones of the Dead on this blue cover. And if you have them out on a table, sort it's of really like, powerful. they just look yeah. great. And they really pull you in. And I think as much as there is a lot to be said about great cover designs like which one's like my favorite yeah. ever going back to the really simple designs sometimes yeah. it really gets you i have to say one of the most annoying sayings is don't judge a book by a cover because what else are you meant to judge it by yes okay don't just judge it by the cover but the only way that i will pick up a book is if i look at the cover and think it's something i'm gonna like like we said before the publishing industry understands how important it is now ebooks are a thing it's so important to get the publishing right to make someone actually want to own that copy of the book i think don't judge a book by its cover applies to everything apart from to books yeah like yeah. whoever the guy was who came up with that got it wrong <laughs> because it applies to stuff like people and like pretty much everything in life but not books but just not for books because actually the way you merchandise and yeah. the way you market and the and way the, you present stuff these days is so important and the the cover of a book tells you everything you need to know yeah. about a book when you pick it up this is what annoyed me about tangerine that i was speaking about yeah earlier. the cover i don't is like that so, no i what no oh, no it's, so, it's um, a tangerine orange cover and then it, it's a photo of a woman it's like a classic 50s model yeah. she's like a famous woman i can't remember who she is and she's like got a hand over her eyes and it's like just so classic i understand why you like it but i don't like photographs and covers that's my oh, problem and the book is set in the yeah. 50s in morocco it's great it's a great cover yeah. and i love to just look at it and be like so nice <laughs> but didn't enjoy it yeah so mm, um, awkward and also, obviously, you've got the difference between hardbacks and paperbacks. And at the moment now, they're actually putting stuff on under the dust cover. <sighs> because I hate Original. dust covers. Because I take them off anyway. can't read. Do you? You're mad. I can't, <laughs> I can't read it if it's got a dust cover on it. Because it'll, like, crinkle at the bottom. Uh, especially if you're reading it in bed. It's really annoying. When you take the dust cover off, it's so boring. It, mm. All it's got is the title along the spine. Whereas now, especially in children's, pretty much every hardback children's has something underneath the dust cover. It's like a even, nice surprise. Yeah, but even a in... I love that. Yeah, but even in fiction now, like the binding has got a beautiful pattern under the cover. Mm-hmm. But I'm a paperback girl all the way. Do you, crucial question, like it when the paperback and the hardback are the same or do you like them to be mm. different? I personally find from a book selling point of view, I like them to be the same because then I visually, I recognise yeah. them. I think that... Whereas if they change them, I'm just like... Oh, yeah, there's two ways for that, isn't there? Because one half of them probably think, oh, if we do the same cover, then it's still recognisable. But then the other half probably think, oh, well, if the hardback didn't do that well, then maybe we can republish it yeah. as if it's a new thing. That probably um, is the With thinking, the paperback. Yeah. I think if it's a beautiful cover, keep it. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule for that. I think if it struggled in hardback, I get why people would change it up for the paperback. There was a book that I loved. The woman who wrote The Bees, Laleen Paul, mm. her second book was called The Ice. And the hardback is absolutely stunning. But the paperback like, isn't very nice. The paperback so, yeah. looks like, looks self-published. Yeah. Like the paperback is horrible. Why have you done this? Because yeah. I want to recommend it to people, but I don't want to recommend yeah. the paperback to people yeah. because I don't like it. To be honest, if I see, this is probably really shallow, but if I hear about a book, find it then, and it's got a horrible cover, I, to be honest, part of me doesn't want to buy it, doesn't want to read it. I don't want that on my shelf. I like my bookshelves. Another aspect of this, I get a lot of proof copies and mm. so do you from work. So mm. copies of books which haven't been published yet and they obviously aren't the same standard. But that doesn't really matter because we're getting them for free and we're reviewing them. But I just 
I get really annoyed when a good book is published badly. It's all subjective, isn't it? Because what we think is nice, other people might think is horrible. But I wonder what the percentage is of ones that are published different from the hardback when they come out in paperback. I would love to know. Amazing. Well, let us know what you think of the publishing industry as well. If you agree or disagree, what your favourite publishers are, we'd love to hear it. And next time we'll be talking about film adaptations and, as usual, updating you guys on what we're reading at the moment. If you would like to leave us any comments about the things we've been talking about, please follow us on Instagram at the Covercast and leave them below our pictures. We want to know what you guys have to say. We'll see you next time for some more bookish chat. Bye. Bye.